Hey, so welcome to kind of a new format where we're breaking this episode up into two shows, two episodes, um, mainly because we wanted to do justice to the entire conversation. Uh, part one, uh, what you're about to listen to, is the background of Chef Ariel. Um, wonderful person to talk to, uh, really enjoyed our conversations. Uh, and then part two, which is going to be released right behind this one, is a, a very important topic to all chefs. Um, and if it's not for you, it'll, it kind of should be. Over the last 20 years working in restaurants, I met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, Bourdain called us pirates and misfits, and he couldn't be more right. We really were, um, I say were, we are a hodgepodge of cultures and backgrounds and we get to play with food all day and we get to make a living doing that and it's pretty damn awesome this is what inside the pressure cooker is all about it's about making some new friends and sharing some stories with some old friends and listen we all know that life inside a kitchen is not for everyone we've seen plenty of people come and go that thought they could hack it and they couldn't um, it really does take a special someone not only to survive, but to really thrive in an environment of just what feels like complete fucking chaos, but it's pretty damn controlled. And then just the constant pressure and the stupid hours you put in, not to mention it can be a very thankless job. Before you know it, it's all in your blood and it's the only thing you know, and you need more. It's an addiction. This is the bond that all line cooks and chefs share. Um, it's becoming the heartbeat of the kitchen, as cliche as that fucking sounds, but it's in our blood, which means it's fucking pulsing through our veins, and it's what we live for. This is Chad Kelly, and I've been slinging pans for over 25 years, and in that time, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of many successful kitchen teams, many of which I had the privilege of leading. And during those final few years of my career, I found that my passion was not only just in cooking, but it was the people, and it was mentoring the next generation of chefs. You cannot create if you have no idea what you're talking about. If you don't understand, if you don't walk your kitchen, how can you create something if you don't walk your kitchen and if it's not doable for the crisis of service? So those are the things that I was, you know, I've been learning and, and took me when, and lately when I was the last, you know, my last head chef positions that, that I did. So that, that's, I think, it's the definition of chef, you know, women just not create, but create something that it's doable. So what is a chef to you? Uh, to me, the definition is pretty simple. Uh, but for some reason, uh, it can be a hot topic to some people. Um, because it's like not everybody can call themselves a chef. And it's like, hey, you know, it's a title of, of honor. It's also a title of respect. Um, so it's okay to occasionally call somebody a chef, uh, regardless of their status. Um, you know, if their passion is there and their heart's there then fuck it, it's okay. I mean, and if you're that worried and that pretentious about who's a chef and who's not, I can just relax, okay? Nobody's stealing any, any of your glory, all right? 
Uh, but honestly, that for me, a chef is someone that is a leader in a kitchen, someone that creates as well as executes. And here shortly, you're going to listen with uh, audio um, about his kind of rise in the culinary world uh, in the Mediterranean and his experience with chefs, um, his experience with chefs that could create but couldn't execute and him finding his place being a chef that was creating and executing. So what is your definition? Hey, quick interruption before we jump on to the rest of this. Two things. First, there's a link in the in the show notes that, well, it's not really a link. It's my email. Please, I want to hear some feedback from y'all. What do you love? What do you not love? Um, this is how I learn. And the second part, I've set up a Patreon account for this podcast. Uh, the link is also in the show notes below. Please, if you're able to, we would love any contribution you're able to support us with. We all have costs that we need to try to cover with this show, and any support would be greatly, greatly appreciated. You're based in the in the States, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Dallas area, so, North Texas, yeah. So so I'm, I don't know how it's there, but the situation here of the industry in, in Malta and in Europe it, itself, in general, it's... it's it's a disaster, you know what I mean? Currently, so. Well, um, Chef, let's start. Um, give me your 30-second elevator pitch. Like, who is Chef Ariel? Uh, so, fa- I, I have to say that I never call myself a chef. I, I, I still consider myself a, a self-taught. Uh, you know, I, I start, the thing is, I started professionally cooking only 10 years ago. And... Uh, and very fast because the, the place where I, I lived, they were mainly small places. So I grew very fast in the industry and I became head chef very fast because of probably lack of people. And, you know, once someone does normal things or a bit better than the normal uh, and someone is uh, angry, angry to, you know, to learn. Uh, so I claim up in the, in the steps very fast. So that's the thing. I never consider myself, I, I never say Chef Ariel, although everyone calls me Chef, uh, which is very funny. Uh, I need to take this down. Wait a second. Sorry. <laughs> I just did the same thing. Yes, I just let me No, I, I get it. I, you know, because for me, I mean, I've been cooking for 20 odd years and uh, I've done everything from fast food to fine dining. And, but in my heart, I'm a cook. Yeah, right. yeah you know, I, I'm just a cook. I, I because the thing is, um, I o- I always say that a cook, um, a chef, might not be a cook. You know what I mean? Uh, I know many chefs that they they cannot hold the service. They're fantastic chef. They're fantastic chef. Ideas and uh, you know maybe from the other side of the pass but don't put them inside on the line because they they, they can't they can't hold it um, and i saw it by myself you know people that uh, you know i had once an, uh, a guy an executive chef that he was fantastic on ideas and, and developing of menus but he was literally not able 
to he was forgetting this he could forget the steak inside the oven or or or, or the or the Oof. pasta timer things like that you know what i mean so that's not bad uh, i mean if you can't execute it then how do you plan no, on creating I don't know. it but that's the thing i saw that many times people that they were fantastic chefs um, creativity on excellent uh, they could do it without the pressure, but once the pressure of service start, they couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle it. Oof. Well, for me, the definition of chef would be more someone that can both create and execute. Because to be able to create, you've got to be able to execute and know how things are, are going to execute. And if, if something happens, you've got to be able to get in there. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and you need to understand that what you are creating can be done. It's doable according to the situation, to the kitchen that you have. Because that's <laughs> many things, you know. I, right. I, have a, I have a funny story. I was, so I lived, first of all, I started in, in I born in, in Argentina. Mm -hmm. The age, age of 19, I decided to, to move to Israel. I'm, I'm a Jewish guy. And I moved to Israel, uh, did the army, and, and I was working for the government, to be honest, as, as in the defense ministry, um, nothing related to food. And my wife works in the iGaming industry, and um, so basically uh, all these uh, online casinos and sports bets and things like that. And, and she got a relocation offer to, to move to uh, Gibraltar, which is a uh, small, tiny uh, British colony in South Spain. Yep. And, and then I find myself actually in, in a small, very tiny place with an empty CV because obviously whatever I did in, in the army slash defense ministry was not on my CV for obvious reason. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Oh, so I always like to cook, and so I signed up for uh, for a reality in, in in Gibraltar, which is probably half percent of the budget of a normal reality in any country. <laughs> right. Uh, and and I finished uh, running up, and one of the judges took me in, and I start you know making chips, frying chips, and uh, and peeling potatoes and frying chips, and and giving side dishes and. And then cold starters, and then from you know managing the starters, and then doing the desserts, and then starting on desserts, and then on the on the on sauce, and then you know, and eventually, after after about a year and a half, I became head chef in another restaurant, uh, in a pub, and funny enough, I worked in the pub for a about eight months. I have a, a discussion with the owner that you know. They didn't want to pay, so I, I, I didn't mm. have people. So, so he was telling me, uh, you know, the pub was not full. And he was telling me, ah, oh, people are not coming. And, and, you know, I was blaming him. I said, listen, bring the people. That's your job. You bring the people. Once the people are inside, I make them happy. And, and that's happened. My side is happening. No, if you don't pay the guys, I will end up being, okay, you want me to work alone? I can do everything, yes. So I'm in the past, I'm in sauce, I'm in fries, I'm, and I wash the dishes as well. But, but then there is a limit how many people I can feed. So, yeah. so eventually I left, and then 
a cook came in, kind of, you know, someone who accepted very low money. Sure. And I saw the ideas, and, and eventually I told the guy, listen, do you see the kitchen that we have? <laughs> and he was telling me, yes, yes, no, but we can do this, we can do that. And I said, like, mate, you won't be able. Like, listen, <laughs> you, the size of the, the oven has the size of, of my hand. I mean, there is a limit how I many you can put some burgers because they're small. They can put sure. like four or five burgers, fair enough. And then, and then on the plancha, do the other ones. But you can't have uh, fish al sale, which is, you know, um, you know um, whole fish with, with salt crust. <laughs> it doesn't fit. So, no, it doesn't even fit a pub either. Exactly. Exactly. So eventually, you know, what I'm saying is talk to the chef. Right. You cannot create if you have no idea what you're talking about. If you don't understand, if you don't walk your kitchen, how can you create something if you don't walk your kitchen and if it's not doable for the crisis of service? So those mm-hmm. are the things that I was, you know, I've been learning and, and took me when and lately when I was the last, you know, my last head chef positions that, that I did. So that that's I think it's the definition of chef, you know. What I mean, just sure. create, but create something that it's doable. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be one with the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to. Yeah, in it's you've got to be as much a part of it as it's a part of you. Yeah, it has to be um, your baby. It has to be your baby. Yeah, I mean, I understand. For I better know. or for worse. <laughs> But that's in sickness true. and in health. <laughs> that's the thing. The problem is that here comes the other thing, and it's when the owners that in many times, I'm not going to say most, <clears throat> but in many times, they have no clue, and they are just business people, and, yep. and they don't understand. And then you eventually, because you, we chefs, we 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 consider the, the the cooking so more like a it's just it's not just a job it's a job it's a hobby it's a passion it's something that represents us so we end up overworking underpaying underpaid and the default becomes that yeah you need to be here 12 13 14 hours why not which is you know what i mean i i remember once someone told me uh, well, you will have one and a half days leaves, and I said, one and a half. What? What is half? Yeah, you just come in the morning. <laughs> you, you just come in the morning. That—that's not half. That's that's a day. That's you know working. what I mean. But yeah. that's the thing. But in in the industry, that some people were saying, yeah, that that's one and a half day because you don't do split shift. You just come in the morning. <laughs> And in my head was like, no, dude, that's, you're wrong here. You know what I mean? You're wrong. You can't say that. <laughs> oh, no, I get you. Uh, your last spot was uh, where you're cooking. Was that uh, Dinner in the Sky? Yes. That okay. was my last job as head chef. Man, tell me about that. That's crazy. Basically, that's a, that could be probably the most logistic, complicated thing that I ever did because it is an outside catering in terms of 
the organization. Mm, yeah. But, but you, it's an outside catering based on another outside catering because you end up, you, you arrive to the place, at least here in Malta. I don't know how it, it is along in like 50 countries. And I am sure, I'm sure that each country is different. I mean, I saw Michelin star uh, guy, chefs cooking in the, in the sky. Uh, so we obviously we didn't get a, a star because we only op- we only operated for six months. So I assume that one of the criteria is you know being an ongoing restaurant. But in sky here in Malta um, during winter you cannot do it. In fact, even during summer sometimes there is since it's an island there is so the wind doesn't you know mm. doesn't let you go up. But in any case. So basically, um, back to how to create a menu. So the first, I did two years. Uh, I did two years when the first year I was just, you know, I was hired just to deliver the service. So I was receiving all the food, preparations and everything. And I was just, you know, delivering the service. And and then we we won several uh, prizes and, and they they believed that something, you know, most of them or some of them, they were, Related to me, and they offered me take care, take a, you know take over everything, all the all the cooking and logistics and everything from that. So we're talking about uh, the first thing I did was create a menu. So I needed to again, since I had already experience, I understand how the kitchen is. So I changed completely the menu. As I give an example, uh, the first year everything was hot. So I I spoke to my executive chef and told him, listen, let's think, let's focus on plating. We are giving fine dining experience. People are paying a lot of money and they're seeing us and what they see, they want to see what they see on, on YouTube or what they see on TV. They want to see fancy stuff. They want to see plating. They want to see all this show that we did. So basically, I I changed the, the stars as we moved it to cold. So everything was pre-done. So I was just needed to take it and plate it. So I was focusing more on the plating. So people were, you know, the first impression was the wow, the show. And then, uh, so we we also created the whole option, vegan option. So we had... Uh, nice. Yeah, because we expanded the, the menu to two different options of uh, starters. So we had uh, an amuse-bouche was um, a molecular sphere, a cocktail in a, in a sphere made with calcic and all these things. Uh, and then we had two type of starters, which was, uh, so we had one with fish, one vegetarian, or was vegan, in fact. Uh, so we could cater for anyone. And then we had a palate cleanser, which also we did vegan. And then we had four different main courses. So we had fish, we had a bird, we had a, a beef, and we had a, a vegan option, a vegetable option. And then we have a dessert, which has, was also uh, gluten-free, was lactose-free, and and then for the but had eggs. So for the vegans, we used to do fruit salad. So basically, think that I am talking about two starters. So mm-hmm. sphere. Two starters, cleanser, four um, four main four courses, and dessert plus potatoes and vegetables for the side dishes. Sure. 
that for 22 people twice, so it's 44, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, plus extra of everything. Just in case someone changed, someone this, that's, I don't know, whatever it is. So Yeah, plus you're executing all this at 40 meters up. Well, that's the thing. And that you need to execute all that, yes, 50 meters above, you know, hanging in the in a crane. <laughs> with, <laughs> with a home, a home, small home oven and okay. two burners because the other two in the back were more to place stuff like spoons and things like that. Okay. So you yeah. had just a little tiny oven? And That's then... the small oven where you need to warm up your plates as well. So, <laughs> okay. Because it's, again, because we yeah, go, sure. because we find it's a fine dining. So that's why the first thing I thought was starters need to be cold. Because then it's. You need uh, the room. It's impossible. So, so basically, um, so it's that. So you have, uh, I used to go there. Friday, Saturday, Sunday used to work about 16 hours every day. Plus, during the week, all the preparations, all the orders. I, w- I was doing all the orders, all the preparations. And obviously, I have, I have my staff and everything, but uh, it's really, really, really tough. I mean, it, you need the amount, the pre-order of, of the food because people, need, they need to pre-order. Mm-hmm. Many times, there is no pre-order. Many times, many times, uh, you know, and then you need to have just in case for everything. Yeah, what happens when extra people show up? I mean, uh, you only got 22 seats, though. No, it's that. Uh, yes, but when you have an <laughs> owner like, like the one that I used to have, I mean, I remember once, I think I wrote you, once was, um, you know, there were the fully, uh, full service, 22 seats. And yeah. then the owner came and then he said, oh, I brought some uh, two friends. And we were like, but, wow. uh, no, don't worry, don't worry. So basically, imagine a table, okay, around and mm-hmm. inside, in, you know, in, in the middle, you have me, another chef, the host, okay. And on the side, you have waiters to serve the, the people in the corner. So okay. this, the owner decided that. He comes up with the two guests. So the two guests standing up next to the waiters on the side. Okay. So I basically, I needed to have food for 25 because I need to give him as well, even if he said no. So start thinking about how fragile are all those cocktail spheres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I need to have for everyone. Okay? One. Food, you know, portions. There is a limit how many the, the tray, you know, for example, for the fish, we had tray of, you know, there is a limit how much, how many, well, like that, yeah. like this, just always. Or for example, Everything one. just goes out the window. Yeah, no, not only that. You know how many times, you know, I was serving a fish and then the guy next to, what well, the, I know, let's say, or, or the lady ordered, um, I don't know, uh, beef. Yeah. And, and then it was like, wow, the fish looks amazing. Can I have the fish instead of the beef? 40 meters, hanging in the crane, food hot already, everything's there. 
if you want anything, it's down there. You need to bring it code, you know. So all portions, there were always one or two extra. Just for that reason. Just for that reason. So food cost, it needs to be super tight, super tight, right. super controlled, because otherwise, you know, you spend too much. Uh, and then, you know, one day I had, uh, I used to do beef, beef ribs, beef short ribs, uh, mm -hmm. sous vide, and then slow cook was very, very, very tender. And, and I end up having, you know, um, I think it was the day that the, the owner brought another two guys. So I had extra beef, but I didn't have enough, obviously. And it was already all warm, all ready to go up. So one of the pieces was too big. So I cut it in half <laughs> somehow so they don't see me. And I, from one, I made two. And, the, and again, and I, I'm going to say that again, 40 or 50 meters hanging in a crane and the distance between me and the guest is, I don't know, 50 centimeters, 60, yeah. the, the size of a, you know, of a table, 60 centimeters. They see everything. They, you can't hide. And one, once, once um, the chef who was with me, uh, somebody asked for the fish, no sauce. And then he's pulling, he was a bit, uh, you know, I don't know. And then he put sauce everywhere. And I'm like, look, I said, I said, one, no sauce. Put it, so you see, he's putting down, change the plate, put the plate in the oven, take the fish, scrap the sauce, flip it so they don't see, you know what I mean? And then make another, boom, and send. Like that, hundreds, hundreds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of my, once, um, once they brought, once the same owner, don't take me wrong, the owner is, a, he was also a chef and everything and, 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 you know, he's a fantastic businessman and I don't know, personally, I don't have anything against him, the opposite, I'm still in touch with him and everything. One day he brought a, a two Michelin star chef from Singapore. He was visiting Mota. He was visiting Mota and they decided to do something together, blah, blah, blah. And one day, one day before I, I got to know that he will come to do the service with me in the sky. Now, with all the, what, I'm telling, what I'm telling you, you can understand that if you've never been in a service in the sky, it is super complicated for me to explain you. Because everything is timed. Everything's time was there is the service is one and a half yeah. hour. The, the service is one and a half hours. Then I have 20 minutes in between the, the second, the first and the second one to set up again. And then another one and a half hour. So if for any reason there is a delay, I'm not going to say the, the word, but I'm fucked. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, so, I was looking at that too. I mean, like yeah. being 40, 50 meters up in, in a very small space. You've got everything preset. Everything you only got an hour and a half to execute, you yeah. know. And everything's it's timed. Like, it's almost, it's yeah. a one, one, two, three, four, five. It's a five course meal. Plus, um, we used to do at the end, nitrogen, uh, nitrogen limoncello. Uh, so we used to do like a sorbet with, okay. with liquid nitrogen as a show. So it's 
kind of a six course meal in one and a half hours hanging in the air. Uh, and I needed to explain to a two Michelin star restaurant guy, to a chef, who probably last time he was in a service like that was when he was, I don't know, 15. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> the, guy, the guy has a restaurant with five tables. That's what he knows. And I needed mm. to brought him to the mud. But listen, mud, mud, really the mud. And we succeed. At the end, we succeed. And, and the guy sat down and told me after, you know, in between the services, he was sitting and eating the, the leftovers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, you know, stuff food and things like that. And then eventually he told me, I, I don't understand how you do this. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know how, 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 how you do that. And I told yeah. him, well, I just show you how. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. It is very, it's, mean, it, it is very difficult. Yes. It is very difficult, but hey, it was done. It passed. It gave me a reputation here in Malta. It gave me the courage to understand that at the end, it's just food. It's just food. It's not life or death. It's just food. We need to do all the best. And I have to say that uh, this owner that, you know, he's in all details of all his restaurants, he only came to visit six times in six months. And when I asked him why he's not coming, he told me I don't need to go. So, you know what I mean? So that's, that's all on, on me at the end of the day. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. That, well, that's the thing. That's when the owners come to you and tells you, you know, when, because at the end, I, I, I ask for more money. Uh, I ask, <laughs> first of all, I told him, let, let me take care of it. Let me, okay, I show you. I proved you. Let me take over everything. I do all the organization. Let's bring another chef. There's, I do, you know, I mean, just, I'm not taking a step back, but I, the opposite. I will take care. I will take care of everything, and I need more money and blah 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 blah. And then it's when they said, "No, no, but you don't need your money. You you enjoy what you're doing." So it's like you work from something that you like. <laughs> so it's you're not working. You're enjoying. You're, it's your hobby. It's like, and then you you know. Yeah, you don't pay the bills with the hobby. No, no, but that then it's. I mean, I had another offer in on you know on my on my table, and and this is when I said, okay, thank you, but I'm going, I'm going to another place. So <laughs> that makes true. sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, and they understand, and they understood, and I was lucky enough to do that in January. 2019. So imagine, imagine. Uh, yeah, the timing was there. The, the timing was there. The timing was there. I could have been two years or two and a half years without a job and, and, and forget it, you know, because I, I was not, I didn't want to go back to the kitchen, as, as you know, uh, as we said, go back. I'm already <laughs> 40 go back to the shift and things like that with the family. It's, it's not the, it's not the ideal. No, not at all. No. So, I mean, how did COVID impact Malta? I have to say that the impact here was very, uh, low. Um, at the beginning, yeah, 
things, you know, they were locked, they were closed, blah, blah, blah. But the, we were never <clears throat> in a completely lockdown. Okay. Uh, we could, you know, go out here and there. I'm not talking about, like, you know, traveling. This, that. Also, again, it's an island, so uh, there isn't anywhere to go. Um, the government gave out vouchers to spend in in the local industry in local you know businesses. Uh, that helped. Most of the restaurants, even including fine dining and including Michelin star restaurants, they turned into uh, takeaway. They used to you know uh, send takeaway uh, with instructions on how to reheat or things like that. Yep. I tried them all. It was no good. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was no good. I know that in the state it happened. I mean, I follow Alinea and, and, and all the things, and I know that uh, Grant was doing the videos on how to reheat and re, you know regenerate the food that was sending. And look, even even for me, which I don't really need instructions to be honest to to to, to regenerate right. a meal. It was not. It was not. Was not done correct. It's very hard. I mean, in my opinion, they they needed to go lower. But then, if you have a Michelin star restaurant, you can't not send the food that is expected. So yeah, but I, it's. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd expect a Michelin star experience in food if I'm ordering it all takeaway. I agree, but on the other hand. That's what people were expecting. Like, okay, I'm ordering from, for example, uh, Noni, which is, they have one Michelin star restaurant here. And I know the chef, he's an amazing guy. Um, he also was on my, on my thesis uh, as I interviewed him. Okay. And, uh, and you know, he was trying to deliver uh, as a takeaway with instructions, like, with everything, and put the oven and like this and blah, 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 and simplify it. But at the end, you know what I mean? Uh, it's not there. It's not the experience is not there. So I I think they, they should have, you know, go to to what I believe right. it's the best, which is simple food tasting. Just simple food, local local product and do it tasty. That's it. Yeah, because at that point too, people just wanted comfort. Yeah. Right? Whether it's through the food and everything else, it's just they needed something more yeah. soul warming and stuff so it didn't have to be fancy no 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 i agree now the thing is in malta uh, you know in terms of the industry the the funny thing is that um, and i entered in, in in a few details of my my dissertation is that during covid most of the people turned into the local to the farmers mm -hmm. and thing and you know the, the mainly to the local farmers and 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 you know the the local market grew and people were buying and things like that. As soon as the border opens, everything went back as it was. It was, it's incredible. Incredible. <laughs> the same people that they used to go to the farmer, they, they kept growing. But all the new guys, back to the comfort life of supermarkets or big chains or... As soon as or, the convenience came back. Convenience, yeah. Still, I think uh, the takeaway food uh, grew exponentially 
Uh, and it's incredible the amount of people ordering food uh, from home, but normal food, like, you know, normal takeaway stuff. Burgers, pizza, pasta, maybe, uh, which is which is weird. I don't know who ordered pasta from takeaway, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, all good. it's going to be overcooked. <laughs> like, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? But then what happened yep. is that a lot of these um, uh, takeaway apps, they added grocery by fishmonger, uh, butcher, uh, everywhere. You, you, call, you know, you, you from the app, you can buy all your groceries, you can buy your, uh, you know, all the supermarkets turn into online shopping, uh, online buying. A lot of farmers, supposedly, they turn into the online selling as well. Uh, although... Back again, if if you go online and you know it says, I don't know, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but if you say local farmers from Molda, why you are selling bananas? I mean, <laughs> how can you sell a banana if you're a local farmer? You know, or mango? I mean, we're still in the Mediterranean. Where are you bringing the mango from? Yeah, no, we get that here, and and it, it's kind of the almost a, a running joke with like the farmer's market in our area. It's like, it doesn't actually have any actual farmers from the area. I mean, it might have, um, you know, someone, I mean, I don't think there's any produce. Uh, we might have some local chickens, the honey, uh, there might be one or two small ranchers. Hmm. Um, but that's it. But I mean, the market itself is fairly large and it's, stall after stall after stall of all the same thing. Yeah. And it's all produce from whether it's Mexico or Florida or Cal I mean, wherever it's coming from at that time. And, and it looks beautiful, but it's like, there's, this isn't a, a local thing. There's no local war. Yeah. The, the, the farmer, the, the farmer's market, it is 100% local. That's for sure. Uh, but it's only physically. They don't sell online. Now, the, People selling online, they are they're telling you, yes, the farmers, and I know them, that's the thing, I know them, but they are, I'll give you an example. With the academy where I teach, one of our workshops is um, olive harvesting, and we create our own olive oil, the Maltese uh, indigenous olive, which is thousands of years old. Um, the name is Bitney, that's the, the type of oil, of uh, mm -hmm. olive. And I know, obviously, I know the farmers. And the funniest thing is that the farmer that I, I speak to, his cousin is one of the biggest importers of fruit and vegetables for supply retail. And I'm asking him why he's not selling local. I was in the restaurant or in, in where I work. Uh, I was managing a, a whole office, a, a payment solution office, that they have a canteen for the employees. So I was managing everything, including the canteen. And I was buying from this guy, who's the cousin of the farmer of the olive, and he's not selling any local things. And I was asking him, is your cousin, you have a lot of things. There is a, why he's not offering local? Why? 
or mm-hmm. or you know what? Why he's not? Let's say that he wants to be imported. I don't know. I mean, I know why, because uh, those are the the the, the conclusion of my te- of my dissertation. But at least favor the local product over the 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 importer. I mean, I can't understand in an island so small that a cauliflower from abroad costs you less than a cauliflower from here. Now I understand it, okay, because there is not enough. Okay, but if just but if there is not enough, sell whatever it is and that's it, done. But can't be that importing something it's so much it's cheaper than bringing that that growing here. Mm-hmm. That I don't I, I I can't understand that. How's that for a cliffhanger, huh? So we're gonna pick up this conversation in part two. Jump onto that one when you've got the time. And thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like you're able to take something away from it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Um, if you don't use Apple Podcasts, please follow us as well as share this episode with a friend. This is a publication by Rare Plus Media, hosted and produced by me. From Rare Plus Media and myself, Chad Kelly, thank you for listening. Keep kicking ass.